You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Today's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 4. You can follow along with me starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. We have Redemption Hill Kids, ages 2 to 4 and ages 5 to 9 that may be dismissed. Good morning. I am always grateful to be here with you. Um, you guys are our Iowa family, and I appreciate that. I'm praying that someday God will help me be less socially awkward and more able to interact beyond three or four words, but it is what it is, right? God is good, and we trust Him in that. I wanted to share my Father's Day present with you. Every once in a while, you get something that is exactly right, right? I fix stuff and I know things. That's what I do. I don't like topical messages. I like expositional preaching. And I especially don't like holiday-related topical messages. But here we are. I am giving a topical holiday message. Let's pray for us again, please, as we get started. God, your word is true, and it shows us how to live and how to interact with you. It shows us your desires and expectations. We understand your heart from your word. This morning, as we we look at fathers and our responsibilities, um, I pray that you'd help us to see the broader applications. This isn't just for fathers, but that is the focus. Um, Lord, help us to interact with your truth. And I pray that you would reveal something of yourself to each of us this morning uh, to draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sean had asked me to share insights on being a father from the perspective of a dad with grown children who also have children. It seems really weird that my children are as old as most of you in this room. 
and I feel like we're buddies, right? So that's odd for me. But in all honesty, I feel, I feel really unqualified to speak to the issue of fatherhood. In many ways, I feel like as a dad, I failed. That I didn't measure up to either society's standards or biblical standards. Um, all five of my kids were taught the truth of Scripture from the time they were small children. All five of them had godly examples. My wife and I were both believers their entire childhood growing up, their entire lives. Yet all five of my kids rebelled and made sinful choices. Three of them walked away from God, or at least from organized religion. We'll come back to that later, but what I'd really like to do instead of looking at my walk as a father is look at scriptural examples because I figured surely God is going to give us clarity and understanding of, of what he desires. And so we're going to look at three things from scripture today. First is biblical expectations for fathers. Dads take notes. Potential dads take notes. Some examples God gives us of fathers in the Bible and then what we can and should do as fathers. Those three things are where we're going to focus. So if you would, turn to First Fatherhood chapter 1. And here's our first challenge. There isn't a simple compilation in the Bible of what's expected of fathers. It's not just lumped together. We have to look at the scope of Scripture to find the things we're clearly told about a father's responsibilities. So here's a list of some of those, I'm going to call them duties or expectations for now, that I found as I was looking through Scripture. Some of these are the reverse of what happened. Examples, um, sorry, brain and mouth are not working together right now. There are a lot of scriptural references in today's message. And I debated reading each one. And I realized we have to be out of here by 12 o'clock. So the references are up there for you to see. I'll give you the summary so that we can see what God was telling us. The ones that are especially significant and need to be addressed will be shared in full. In Genesis 37, 4, with Abraham, we see him playing favorites with his children, and it caused a lot of problems. The, the point from this is not to play favorites, but that as a father, we need to love each of our children equally. We don't get to have favorites. We have to pour the same love on each one. There might be ones that we get along with better or more easily, right? But you can't pick a favorite. Matthew 7, 8 to 11 tells us that we are to supply both the physical and emotional needs of our children. That verse is the, where the reference to the, what father would promise his child a fish and then give them a serpent or promise them bread and give them a stone shows our caring for their, their needs. In Proverbs 1.8, we're to instruct them 
especially in the ways of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4 tells us to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're to guide and warn them, we see in 1 Thessalonians 2. In Genesis 34, we're called to rebuke our children, which is a form of warning, as you know, before, as part of their training. We're supposed to restrain our children. We read with the example of Eli in 1 Samuel 3. In Hebrews 12, we're supposed to discipline. And Deuteronomy 21 says that even to punish a rebellious child. And there's a differentiation in disciplining and punishing. And punishing is like the final step. Um, that passage is interesting, the end of that, as we look at the punishment. Because if a child is, in the Old Testament, was showing themselves to be totally rebellious, turning away from God, not listening to their parents, not responding as, as Scripture said they should, they were to be taken before the elders. And it was the elders' responsibility to stone them. Teens, respect your parents. Be grateful that God doesn't expect that of us right now, but you see his standard. It's that we follow his direction. So as I was working through the, the list of things that I found, and I, I know the list is longer, to me it boiled down to what I call five duties or expectations. Dads, we can remember five things, right? Love your children equally. Meet their physical and emotional needs. Now, how many of you are already going? I can see that this is going to apply differently with each of my children. They have different sets of needs for me to be able to understand and address. Teach them. Especially teach them how to live for God and their need of a Savior. Clearly let them know when they're in sin and need to repent. Those aren't easy. I can remember a couple of very clear confrontations with my teenagers and a couple post-teen when they had to be shown that they weren't living right. It was hard, hard, hard. And then fifth on our list, bring appropriate, appropriate discipline and even potentially punishment. So with that list, it's like, okay, now I understand what it looks like, what God expects of us as dads. It's boiled down enough that I can understand it and I think I can even actually accomplish it, right? It's just five things. If I can do those five things. So I went through scriptures looking for an outstanding example of fatherhood or outstanding examples to share. Here's what I found. And we're going to work through a list of biblical fathers. As we look at these examples, I want you to think through the list. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. 
and ask yourself if these fathers were failures or successes. I'm going to try to let you draw your own conclusions. And I want you to think you're doing that. Am I basing my conclusions on scriptural statements that we just read or cultural expectations that we see or just whether I like it or not or think it's right or not? All right. Genesis 4, we have Cain and Abel. So Adam's our first dad. Adam knew God as closely as anybody ever could, I think. I mean, God created him. They had fellowship one-on-one in the garden. Cain killed Abel. So the first set of children we have, murder is involved. Genesis chapter 9, we move on to Noah. Scripture tells us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God. After the flood, Noah got drunk. Something happened with Ham. All it tells us is that Noah knew what Ham did. And he was condemned. He was cursed. Genesis chapter 19, we have the example of Lot and his daughters. And we know, as as you remember this story, men came to Sodom. We're going to stay in the square. Lot said, you can't stay there. Come into my house. The guy said, no, we'll stay. We'll just stay. It's fine. Lot convinced them because of the evilness of the men of Sodom. The immorality of these men. And so the first thing we see is in this circumstance, Lot as a means of appeasement, offers his daughters kind of as a sacrifice to these men of the city to spare the other men. But then later, we see his daughters plotting a plan because they can't see any other way of their father continuing the line through them. And so we have some some twisted relationships going on even here. Encouraged yet, dads? Laban, Jacob's father-in-law in Genesis 31, changed the rules on Jacob 10 times when he was trying to pay the bride price for Rachel. In Genesis 34, we have Jacob And remember, Jacob wrestled with God. Again, a closeness, an interaction that is hard for us to understand. In Jacob's life, we have the defilement of Dinah in chapter 34-30. Because of that, his sons, in anger, killed all the men of the village. They deceived them and killed them. They didn't just kill them. They deceived them first and then killed them. And in that, the first thing Jacob says to them is he's worried about his image. You're going to make me stink in front of our neighbors. 
He didn't address their sin. He addressed his image. Uh, His son Reuben showed utter disrespect and contempt for his father in Genesis 35 by defiling Jacob's concubine. We get to chapter 37 with Joseph, and Scripture clearly tells us that Jacob played favorites and loved Joseph more than the others. And, boy, the outworkings of that. Some of the brothers had a simple solution. Let's kill him. Reuben says, no, we're not going to kill him. Let's just sell him. That's much better, right? Eli, in 1 Samuel, who's a priest and judge of Israel, had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas. Scripture tells us they were worthless men. They did evil actions. They didn't know the Lord. They showed contempt for the offerings. The the fat was supposed to be burned, and they took it as their own. They pulled the best portions of the meat that was supposed to be left. They were greedy. They were contemptible of the offerings that were given to God. They also were having immoral relations with temple servants. There's a rebuke in 1 Samuel chapter 2 to Eli from God about what his sons are doing. I want to read verse 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offering that I command for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Boy, that struck me. Eli was paying more respect to his children than he was to God. He honored them above God. We need to guard that one in our culture. Because our culture is very child-centric right now. We can't let them be the center. We have to care for them and provide for them as we've read. But they're not objects of worship. We just need to be aware of that. David, man after God's own heart. One of his sons violated his stepdaughter. His other son plotted the murder of that son. Absalom usurped his father's authority, tried to turn the nation against him. 2 Samuel 15. We have all of these examples of many of whom we see as godly, godly men in scriptures. And yet we see failure after failure in families. Um, Even the father of the prodigal son, I know we don't look at it this way, but in Luke 15, he had a son who was absolutely self-centered. 
Give me my inheritance. Let me out of here. And he had another son who was bitter and angry. I'm here all the time. I'm doing all the work. He's just off running around, blah, 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 blah. There were two messed up kids. Their perspective was wrong. This is discouraging. <laughs> but sometimes I found that you have to strip away stuff to get to where we can start building. Would you agree, as you've been sitting here and I asked you, would you say these fathers were successes or failures? Would you say if we looked at those standards and we looked at the way these children behaved, that these fathers were failures? Was that your first thought? All right. A lot of them omitted at least one of those five duties, even as we look real fast at the examples. So how does their example help us understand how to be good fathers? How do their examples help us with how we view God as our heavenly father? I think these examples remind us, firstly, that fathers are human and sinful too. We fall short. These biblical examples show, show us that there isn't a formula for being a perfect, successful father. I think we look for that. We look for this formula to make us do everything right. The five duties are principles. They're not rules. There's no process or seminar or book that's going to guarantee that we have it all right and we're going to be perfect fathers. It doesn't matter what it is. The Institute in Biblical Life Principles doesn't have all the answers. I Kissed Dating Goodbye doesn't have all the answers. You name it. It doesn't matter. They don't have the secret sauce. There's no magic potion. So what about our one example that we know is perfect? God. Two, two scriptural references we, as we look at this. Please listen all the way through before you stop hearing me on this one. Okay? Hosea 11, 1 to 4. This is God speaking through the prophet. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baal and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. And Isaiah 1-2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. Israel had the perfect parent who perfectly fulfilled his duties, yet they rebelled and turned away from him. 
God didn't fail or have any shortcomings. He didn't miss any of the five duties. He loved Israel perfectly. He perfectly met all their needs. He brought water out of a rock. He perfectly taught them his law. He clearly showed them when they were in sin. He perfectly disciplined them and righteously brought punishment. There was no flaw in his character. He was not the cause of their sin and rejection. Their rebellion reflects their character, not his. Israel's response to God helps us put fatherhood in a right perspective. While it's true that as earthly fathers we often fail, we need to remember that our children also make choices. And we may not be the cause of those choices. I'm not saying this to excuse us of our responsibilities as fathers. I'm saying this because we often beat ourselves up as dads. Even when we've been faithful and yet appeared to have failed. Fathers, how hard is our responsibility if the children of Israel who had God visibly present in their midst, guiding and directing them, wouldn't obey and follow him. Is it even possible to be what we would say is a good father? I believe it is. How? 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 Well, there are two parts to this. And, and again, I know this is not exhaustive. Firstly, by simply being faithful to the things we're called to do. Those five duties, love each child equally, meet each child's physical and emotional needs, teach each child, especially teach them how to live for God, how to come to know him as their savior. Clearly show them when they're in sin and need to repent and clearly bring appropriate discipline and even punishment when it's necessary. We can be faithful, which is what we're called to. And here's the other half. And this was an, as we look at topics, and, and Sean and I were talking, he asked me to, to share as a dad, but he also said, yeah, let's focus on prayer. Fatherhood prayer, fatherhood. Here's the other thing that we as fathers can do. Pray. You want to be successful? Pray. Pray, pray, pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, pray. My oldest son's going to be 43 in a month. I still pray for him. He should have it figured out. He's a lame child, he'll get someday. Philippians 4, 4-9, the verses that were read this morning. Pray in everything 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Everything, prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. I included the second part of the passage just because it's encouraging. Here's some things you can pray even. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned, teach your children, and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Continue steadfast from Colossians 4, 2 to 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray that God would open a door for the word, declaring the mystery of Christ. In Ephesians 6.18, to persevere in prayer. Interestingly, this is the final thing, the final component, the final piece in the armor of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Fathers, keep alert with all perseverance, make supplication for your children. I think it's fair to say as we look at Scripture, that fatherhood, at very best, is challenging. I think it's fair to say, looking at Scripture, that sometimes it's pretty messy. I think we can see from Scripture it requires utter dependence on God. If nothing else, I hope that last fact, that it requires utter dependence on God, was perfectly clear. I, as I've parented, I've sought to be faithful to God and his word. I did my best to fulfill those five duties. I don't think I have a favorite child. I probably do. They, but they were all loved equally. I continue to pray for them. Encouraging side note, two of those three who walked away are believers now. We're still praying for the third. So that's encouraging to me. Four of my kids know the Lord. 
four of my kids have opportunity to apply these biblical principles in their children's lives, and I get to continue to encourage them in that. I know, I know that I've fallen short as a dad. I know there were times when I worked too much. I know because of my temperament that I disengage because I need a quiet place. I know that I've fallen short, but I know God is faithful. And he simply calls us to faithfulness. All of us to faithfulness. Dads, I wrote on my notes, if you failed, since you failed, start applying the five duties and pray. Pray. God will work. If you're doing those things, if you're faithfully teaching your children, loving your children, if you're faithfully praying for your children, don't stop. Keep on. All of us need to know that we can be in prayer for families. The family's under attack today. You know that. Society's trying to break down biblical standards. We know that. Now more than ever, we need to pray. Single parents, God cares for you and for your children. He is a father to the fatherless. And most of all, as we saw clearly in Scripture, God is a perfectly faithful father to his children. We can rejoice in that. Are you encouraged at all? Dads, can you be faithful? In God's strength, yes. Will you pray? Then you're being a successful dad. Keep it up. Be faithful. Pray. Let's do that. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.